Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering. Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. Listen, if you have family or friends who can't watch the show on t television, live TV, they can go to www.bornagainmormon.com and uh, watch it there. Just click on the show's streaming video and you can watch it from anywhere in the world. You know, we uh, started getting together almost a year ago in Salt Lake City on Sunday mornings at the Gateway Theaters, and uh, we called this Bible study and worship Lord's Word. Uh, we did it to help people who were sort of testing the water of religion, people who were coming out of Mormonism, people who were coming out of other religious faiths who didn't know the Lord or wanted to know the Lord better. We have LDS people who come. We have non-LDS people. We have Christians, all types. But we want to invite you to come out some Sunday morning, 9.15 to 10.15 at the Gateway Theaters in downtown Salt Lake City. We don't have memberships. We don't have dress codes, no freaky stuff. Uh, we worship the Lord with music. We pray uh, together corporately, individually. We study God's Word all within an hour's period of time. If you can't come in the morning because you're too lazy, then you can come, I'm just kidding, you can come at night at the University of Utah from 7 to 8. Go to www.lordsword.org. It gives you all the information about where and when, but we would just love to see you there uh, sometime. Of course, if you have your own church you're happy with, uh, that is a Christian Bible teaching church, you stay right there. But if you're looking or if you haven't been to church, come on down and see us. Received a uh, uh, this from Brandon, it says, uh, talking about the Titanic, after the construction of the Titanic, a reporter asked uh, the, the uh, man who built it how safe the Titanic would be. And with an ironic tone, he said, quote, not even God can sink it. Um, have you abandoned ship yet? Meaning, have you written your letter to be asked from, uh, to be removed from the membership records of the LDS Church. Join us with Project Abandon Ship. Abandon Ship now. Send a message loud and clear to LDS Church headquarters. Tell them you want nothing to do with that organization until they change this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing. Write the list out. It doesn't matter. But get your name off the record and send a message so that they can see, hey, we mean business. We've received numerous emails already from people saying, I did it. You know, you can almost hear the hooray in their voice. I did it. Finally, I got the courage to do it. It's happening more and more. If you want instructions on how to do that, go to www.bornagainmormon.com or utlm.org, not com, utlm.org for more information for abandoned ship. Get free from the sinking ship now and safe in the lifeboat of the Lord. Hey, next week, May 27th, we're going to have a very special first time ever show. 
My wife Mary is going to come in from Southern California this Saturday night with my two youngest daughters, Cassidy and Delaney. We invite you to come and uh, call in, get your questions ready. Anything you want to ask them, anything you want to bring up about temple marriages ending, about my becoming a Christian, what it's like to have part of your family Christian, part of your family in the LDS church, how the LDS church treats you when you're found out to be a Christian. Uh, uh, things like that. If you're a teenager and you want to ask a teenager a question about what it means to be a Christian, what it's like being LDS and a Christian, just get your questions ready and get ready to give us a call. If you're shy and you don't want to get online, I mean get on the air, you can call us or write us here at the station. You can write me at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at bornagainmormon.com and just write your question and we'll ask Mary or my daughters here, but just prepare for that special show. They're nervous as heck and uh, it's gonna be great. With that, let's have a prayer. Dear God in heaven, we are so grateful for all you do, for our life, breath, for our food, for our shelter, uh, for the good things of life. You are uh, our God, we praise you, ask you to watch over our audience members, watch over uh, the people at home, Send your spirit, help our technicians, the people who are behind the scenes who do so much work without notice, and we dedicate this show to you in Jesus' name, amen. We're still covering the 17 points of the LDS. Uh, the LDS Church claims are signs of the true church. They give 17 points. We're on point number five, which says, quote, the true church must claim divine authority. I would have to agree. Anybody in the employment of God, doing his bidding, preaching his word, teaching the gospel, proclaiming it, must be able to claim authority from God. Otherwise, they're just doing it unto themselves. Where does the authority come from to serve God anyway? To speak, teach, and preach and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, where does that authority come from? Now really think about this question for a moment, okay? Jesus delivered the good news. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost to all men and women who believed. We have a book called the Bible. It contains the word of God. And Jesus said to those gathered at the Great Commission to go out into the world and teach and baptize in his name, right? What is required by God to be able to teach, pray over, preach to, and counsel others with the good news of Jesus Christ? What's required since Jesus ascended into heaven? Organized and institutional religions have proposed and even demanded that a person must do this thing or that thing or jump through this hoop, jump through that hoop, get so much education, get this or get that, all in the effort to proclaim, preach, teach, and do things in God's name. Mormonism has developed an entire mythical system of priesthood authority which repeatedly is reinforced to their members, um, making action outside of this priesthood authority blasphemous to them. Now, I really want to avoid being redundant on our topics on the shows, and I want to remind viewers that we have examined LDS priesthood closely on our December 5th and December 12th of 2006. If you want to go back and read or, or watch those shows, you should do it because we really go into what Aaronic Priesthood is and Melchizedek Priesthood. And I'm going to avoid the redundancy of what we said on those shows. And I'm going to talk about some other things that you may not have considered. 
about the mythical, mythically reconstituted priesthood claims. LDS missionaries and teachers will present their priesthoods as necessary to function and to the operation of the true church, and they usually use Hebrews 5.4 to support their stance. It says, quote, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. The missionaries will then usually ask an investigator, and how was Aaron called of God, Mr. Investigator? And Mr. Investigator will say, well, I, I don't really know. And then the missionary will say something to the effect that God has never allowed anybody to just take the authority upon themselves. In the Old Testament, there was only certain people who could have this authority. And the way that God ordained Aaron, which is what it's talking about here, was by the laying on of hands. This is what they tell the investigator. And the laying on of hands has to come from somebody who has the proper authority. This is the same way God's, God gives authority to men and women on earth today. This is what they say in the, in the thing. And then they go into the, I want to bear my testimony, which we've been talking about. Testimony is very important. I know that the priesthood authority is within the Mormon church. This is what they say. You see, Joseph Smith claimed he received the Aaronic priesthood authority to act in God's name from John the Baptist. And then the Melchizedek priesthood authority to act in God's name from Peter, James, and John. This claim in and of itself presupposes that there are priesthoods that are required in the first place, and there are not. Joseph then gave this supposed restored priesthood authority to other men by the laying on of his hands on them, and then these men, in turn, laid their hands on other LDS men, and in turn, it was passed down around, and all these different people were able to receive this priesthood authority, and it's passed down. When I was in the LDS church and I became an elder, uh, a, a stake president laid his hands on my head, and I was ordained an elder, and he gave me a little card that said, Sean, you were ordained by me, and I was ordained by this person, and this person by this person. It goes all the way back to Joseph Smith. And then it says, who was ordained by John the Baptist or Peter, James, and John, who was ordained by Jesus Christ. And that's how they claim their line of authority. The trouble is, like with all things, when we look at these type of claims, is when we look at the Bible for contextual meaning of priesthood. In an attempt to set themselves up as the authoritatively true religion on earth, like the children of Israel were prior to Christ's coming, Joseph resurrected constructs and concepts from the Old Testament priesthoods, including genealogical examination, and applied it to his new religious movement. Therefore, because this supposed authority was suspiciously restored to Joseph Smith and then passed down only to the male members of the LDS church, they say no salvation can exist outside of Mormonism because no church has the authority passed down to do the ordinances and things that Jesus requires. Now, everyone wants to lay claim to having the magic recipe, don't they? It always makes for bigger sales members when you, it always makes for bigger sales when you can say, we have the, the recipe. Nobody else has the recipe. And Mormonism, Joseph knew this, and he sees all these churches, so he reestablishes, resurrects this priesthood idea. Now, the lesser priesthood in Mormonism is called the Aaronic priesthood, and it's after Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, Aaronic. It is the one that the 12-year-old boys in the LDS church get to hold. 
as I said, this was supposedly given by uh, John the Baptist, uh, who came and appeared as a man who was dead, had his, was beheaded, and he came back and he appeared to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery in a grove, and he laid his hands on their head and he gave them this ironic priesthood. This is Joseph's claims. Exodus 28 and 29 lays out how Aaron really received this priesthood. Laying on of hands, okay, but what else did he have to go through? I want to challenge you to open up to Exodus 28 and 29 and see the stuff Aaron had to go through in order to get prepared to carry on the duties of an Aaronic Levitical priest. I want you to go back and look at that, and you're not going to believe that 12-year-old boys now get it by saying, you have it, I have the authority to give it to you, now it's yours. It's unbelievable that Joseph reconstructed this thing and has now presented it in this package, okay? I would strongly recommend a reading, and I'm going to give it to you in a second. Once a Mormon boy turns 18, he then is eligible because of his age to receive the Melchizedek priesthood. There is great suspicion as to whether uh, there's, even a, there's not even a record of when Joseph Smith received this Melchizedek priesthood from Peter, James, and John, who came back from the dead, according to him, laid their hands on his head and gave him this fictional Melchizedek priesthood, fictional in the sense that no man can hold this priesthood. It's not transferable. It's untransferable. And that's what the, the Greek tells us about the priesthood. It's not a transferable priesthood. It went from Melchizedek to one person. One person only is the Melchizedek priest. One person only is the high priest. His name, Jesus Christ. He is the great high priest. Read the book of Hebrews and you'll see. He is the only one. And if you watch the show on Melchizedek priesthood, you'll see who Melchizedek was relative to this priesthood that only Jesus holds. If you want to read a really good book about this that's clear, written by an LDS member uh, who's a friend of mine, and he's still LDS, though they held a disciplinary council against him for writing this book, read An Insider's View of Mormon Origins by Grant Palmer. He goes through and he shows you it's just a mockery of Joseph's chronology of how he received these priesthood from these resurrected beings, uh, or not resurrected beings, spiritual beings, which it just doesn't add up. All right, anyway, Dr. New Covenants 107.2 states that, quote, higher Mormon priesthood, not, no, not quote, states that higher Mormon priesthood is called the Melchizedek priesthood because Melchizedek was such a great high priest. We covered what the Melchizedek priesthood was. Uh, it's worth reviewing. But in addition to what has been said before, anyone who understands the New and Old Covenant can safely say some things relative to the LDS claim to these priesthoods. All right, first... There has never been and never would be an Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthood in the New Testament with the exception of Jesus Christ being our one and only high priest uh, after the order of Melchizedek. There is no other priesthood going on in the sense of this passed down priesthood. God commands that priests were, come, were to come directly through the tribe of Levi through Aaron and his sons. But most Mormons, based on their patriarchal blessing, there's a blessing they get, and the patriarch tells them what tribe they come from. They come from, supposedly, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. They do not come from even the right Levitical strain, okay? So they can't even hold this priesthood based on these patriarchal blessings. And what important thing did these priests back in Aaron's time do? They offered blood sacrifices. They offered it why? It was anticipation of Jesus to come. When Jesus came... It was done. 
are the deacons and teachers and the Aaronic priests in the LDS church today needed? Not at all. The biblical job description for Aaronic priests is laid out there, and because Jesus came, it's done with. Joseph took it, resurrected it, and then applied it to children, young boys. Do you see the problem of resurrecting this old covenant and applying it to our time? My friends, Joseph reconcocted an unnecessary priesthood and gave it to children. And then there's has only been one Melchizedek priest, as I said, and he, and he is Jesus Christ. Watch the show on that. Again, do you see the inherently sinister nature of, and the presumptuousness, the audacity of Joseph Smith to say that he had received this concocted Melchizedek priesthood from Peter, James, and John and then passed it on to men today? That there were men who claim today, that there are men who claim today to be Melchizedek priesthood. They claim to be high priests in the Melchizedek priesthood uh, when there has only been one. It's a sin. Okay, uh, it's another good reason to abandon ship. It really is a great reason to abandon ship. Well, the biblical supports are there. What biblical supports are there that says these priesthoods are unapplicable today? All right, let's talk about genealogy. All right. The reason for endless genealogies in the Old Testament and, the, and in the Gospels was to show lineage. It was to show primary lineage for two reasons. One, where the Messiah was coming through. They showed this, this genealogy to show who the Messiah would be, and he had to come through the line of David, right? It was also to prove who were Levitical priests who came through and had the right to enter into the temple and perform the works necessary for the children of Israel. Well, guess what happened? When Jesus was alive, he said, Jerusalem is going to fall. And they, they said, this temple is going to be taken down. And they laughed. They said, it's not going to happen. Titus in 70 AD came in. And guess what God allowed him to destroy besides the temple? All of the genealogical records of the Jews were burned. The Jews today do not offer sacrifice in a temple. One, they don't have the temple mount, but two, they aren't actually sure who comes from that line because their genealogical records, which had been protected by God for 1,200 years, or maybe a little less, 1,000 years, protected by God, was allowed to be destroyed. Why would God allow those genealogical records to be obliterated from earth after Jesus died and ascended? Because this, this, this priesthood is not needed anymore. It was the thing God was saying, look, it's wiped out. The veil's open. There's no more genealogies needed. We don't need it. The priesthood is available to all because we are all a chosen generation. We are all believers and included in this royal priesthood. All men, all blacks, all maimed, all dwarfs, all women, all teens, all black dwarf women teens everybody can have and be part of this royal priesthood everybody joseph went back and said no i want to reestablish this and re reconstruct this hierarchy oh it's just unreal all right what did timothy 1 4 say listen to this quote neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies you don't need these genealogies anymore that's what he says which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith 
This is no more. Titus 3.9 says, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Do you get it? Do you see the connection in our faith that allows us to take action in God's kingdom and not a lineal priesthood authority and faith that saves you and not works? Do you see that? Old covenant, you had a priesthood lineal authority and you had works, you had righteousness and you had your uh, efforts done. Now when Jesus comes, that whole lineage is wiped out. It is by faith that you operate in his name. It is by faith that you are saved. Do you see the connection? The Jewish system was discarded, my friends, for the Gentiles and for the new covenant. Neither Paul nor Peter ever claimed to be priests. Melchizedek or Aaronic, except in the sense that every Christian becomes a royal priest by virtue of their faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation comes by faith in the finished work, finished work of Jesus Christ, not a resurrected priesthood, not ordinances done by uh, teachers, 14-year-old and 15-year-old teachers and deacons and uh, high priests who call themselves Melchizedek high priests doing ordinances and temples and, and these things. It is done away with. This is why Christians get so angry and, and Mormons say, what's wrong? What's wrong with it? They don't realize the context and what is being resurrected back here to this earth. There is perhaps no more religious people on earth or there were no, and there probably will be no more religiously strict people on earth than the Pharisees. They unquestionably had the right authority, okay? And they, without a doubt, belong to the true church. Okay? The Pharisees belonged to the true church in that it contained a system that God approved of. All right, The Pharisees, by men's standards, were very good men. They were very pious men. They were very religious men. And there's a story in Luke where a Pharisee stood and he said, God, quote, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. There must have been a publican standing there nearby. Why, I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. This was religion. This was lineal authority. This was the priesthood at the time. Now, a publican must have been there, and he was a Jew who was in the friendly employment of the Romans to collect taxes from his Jewish brothers, and these, pu these publicans would take excess taxes. They would only give a little bit back to the Romans, and they would keep the rest for themselves. And they were, they were like extortioners, and they were hated by the Jews for doing this. To the Pharisee, a publican was a moral mess. He held no authority, and in this case was possibly the extortionist, adulterer, with no cleanliness, priesthood, or any works to possess. And what was his prayer? He says, quote, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you have the picture between the religionist, the authoritative, lineal religionist, and the sinner? Jesus says, who was justified? Who was justified between the two? And he gives you the answer. The publican went home justified. I'm going to wrap up tonight's monologue. Uh, we're opening up the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. I want to off, uh, end tonight's discussion with... A uh, illustration that LDS hate to hear. Some Christians hate to hear it too. And, uh, and I want to tell you, I want you to pretend that there's a duplex and it's sitting out in the middle of the desert somewhere. And in this duplex 
in duplex A is Steve, and in duplex B is Andy, all right? Now, Steve in duplex A is a remarkable man. Since a boy, he was a Boy Scout. He was exceptional. He served. He loved. He had animals and pets he, that he took care of. He walked grandmothers across the street. He was obedient to his parents. He got a college education. He was law-abiding. He was a good moral man. He didn't fall into egregious sin like pornography and adultery and, and alcoholism and all of these things. He was a good man, but Steve would not believe in Jesus Christ. In duplex B, we have Andy. The guy is a wretch. He is just a pathetic man who has committed all the sins that Steve hasn't and more in his mind. He's committed everything, and he's a vile guy. You won't like him. He is rude. He's mean. He's unkind. He's unconscionable. Every descriptive you can think of, this is Andy. Above their duplex, a 747 suddenly loses power and is falling from the sky at 600 miles an hour toward the duplex. And right about that time as it loses power and it starts to go, Andy turns on a television program, or he turns on the radio, or he opens a Bible, or he reads some tract, and it really convicts him, 40 seconds to go, that he's a sinner. That 30 seconds to go, he is in deep trouble, and that he needs Jesus. And Andy, 20 seconds to go, realizes, I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I confess you. I believe you. And Steve says, what a joke. And the plane hits the duplex, and it's over. Jesus here is saying, let me tell you something. Andy is justified. Andy goes straight to heaven. Steve goes straight to hell. Straight to hell. This good guy who was a great neighbor, who did everything right. You see, because if doing everything right was enough and being a good neighbor and all those things was enough, Jesus didn't have to come. And Jesus tells the religious leaders of the day, these Pharisees, he says, you don't believe that I am and you're going to die in your sin. And that is, that is not what happened to Andy because the only person who can take the sin away is Jesus. Okay? Let's go to the calls. We are going to Jason, first-time caller in Salt Lake City. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Jason? Jason? All right, we're going to go to Ryan. Ryan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Ryan? Ryan? All right, we're going to go to Amelia. Amelia, you're on Heart of the Matter. Amelia? Yeah. Amelia? Yes. I can hardly hear you. Oh, I'm, can you hear me now? Did you hear that rhyme? Amelia, I can hardly hear you. Uh, yes, I can. Barely, though, but go ahead. Oh, well, this is a quickie. We're not getting you, Amelia. At all? Everybody call back. Hey, while the, uh, we, uh, the lines are full, we're not getting it. I'm going to read some emails while they figure out the audio for a second. And uh, call back, clear the lines, or not hearing, or whatever. Listen, this is from Robin. She said, I enjoyed your show on Prophets. I thought I'd like to add something from your collection from the Handbook of Genealogy and Temple Work. Joseph Fielding Smith said, quote, For we reject and damn all those who do not accept Mormonism and the ministration of our elders, while they, on the other hand, give a broader interpretation of the scriptures, holding it but necessary to believe in Christ 
and confess him with their mouth and to believe in the heart that Christ was raised from the dead. Did you hear that? He said, we reject and damn all those who say all that's necessary is to believe in Christ, to confess him with their mouth and believe in their heart that he was raised from the dead. That's from an LDS prophet. Great email, Robin. Thank you. Uh, we got calls. Keep calling, trying to get through. We'll let them work that out. This is from John. John said, I caught some of your show. I begin to wonder what the LDS teach about Acts 11.26. Acts 11.26 says that and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Uh, the LDS say that they are Christians, that you can call them Christians. They want to be called Christians. And that uh, all it is is showing that, uh, you know, yeah, they were called Christians, but they're called Latter-day Saints, that the Christians were called saints too in the scripture. So they won't have any problem with that uh, one, John. Um, it's a good quote, though, because there are past, not passages, but there are quotes from the previous LDS prophets, maybe back like 1940 and before, that they will say, don't call us Christians. We don't want to be known as Christians. So it's an interesting uh, concept. I'll try to find those quotes. All right, uh, this, is, is, this is from an LDS person. It says, here's one that's not going to make your show, I'm sure. Was Joseph Smith a liar? Were all the prophets liars? Is the church a lie? If you said yes to these questions, then you need to read John 8, 42, 47. In Jesus' own words, he tells you who they worship. And in John 8, uh, 42, 47, um, Jesus is saying that they don't hear the Father's voice, therefore they are children of the devil. Uh, this is just the, such great evidence for the Christian mindset of this poor guy. Uh, I am so sorry, Bryant, that you're able to think that believing in Joseph Smith and or not believing in Joseph Smith is akin to not believing in Jesus Christ and that our father is the devil because we say Jesus is enough for us and we, we go to him by faith. I'm so sorry that this is a part of your makeup and mindset and I pray that you will come to see the facts. You realize, Bryant, that you have to embrace a truckload of garbage, a truckload of garbage to believe in this religion you believe in and we have to believe in a universe of beautiful truth called Jesus. And, but the universe is just condescended down to one little point, Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm so sorry for you on that. All right, we're going to try it again. We're going to go to Baron, first-time caller, LDS. Baron, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, hi, Sean. Baron? Uh, yeah, this is Baron in Salt Lake City. Can you hear me? All right, I'm going to, well, get, the audience can hear it. Well, I don't know. They told me to mute my TV. There we go. Wait, one more time. All right, go again, Alan, uh, Baron. Yeah, can you hear me now? Barely, so uh, make it really concise and beautiful. Okay. Uh, well, the uh, LDS Church believes that only revelation is received by them, by God. Um, what do you think about revelation being given to uh, other totally lost it. people? They're going to keep working on the audio, Aaron. I'm going to hang up and uh, come back to it in a minute. All right. Something told me to prepare some emails. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, this is from Wayne. He says um, he was in the Middle East, and he noticed as his uh, tenure there in, a, in the military that White men stood out as lepers, and they were feared as demonic beings. 
Except for the transfiguration of Christ, Jesus, Jesus is described as being polished brass or bronze in the scripture. I have never seen white brass or bronze, have you? So if the Mormon faith believe and teach that the darkness of the skin is a judgment of God, where do they stand on the more pale version of the Savior? Or do they think that they really think this before they made the claim? What he's saying there is Jesus was a, a dark-eyed, dark-haired, dark-skinned, not, maybe not dark-haired, dark-skinned man, and uh, that uh, the LDS have claims that still are in the Book of Mormon, that light skin is indicative of holiness, and dark skin, still in the Book of Mormon, was indicative of a curse and of a people that had fallen into desolation and uh, despair. And that even in the Book of Mormon, that as the, as the Indian people began to come and accept the true God, that their skin started to lighten up. So uh, this is true stuff, not making it up. Go to utlm.org and you'll be able to find these facts out on the blacks and the whole thing with priesthood and skin color. And so this Wayne is not wrong in his, in his assessment. But his point is Jesus had dark skin. He was olive skinned. He wasn't white. On the cover of the latest Ensign magazine that has Jesus on the front, which is, it comes about, about once every uh, 12 months, Jesus is on the front. And on this one, it has this veneer that you look through and it's very pretty. And when you take it back, He's got light hair, and he's got uh, white skin, and he's got blue eyes. You know, totally Americanized, reconstituted Jesus. Uh, not, I don't believe he was the American Jesus that we might want to make him to be. We're going to go to line four, but I, I see it blinking, but I have no line four on our... Okay, uh, this, this is a great comment from Dale and Jerry from Washington. They said, I really enjoyed the show on prophets and apostles. Want to give you another reference. Listen to this from the scripture, 2 Peter 2.1. It says, quote, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So their point is, if false prophets are going to be among us, where do you see religious groups that say they have prophets? How many churches today do you see people stand up and say, I am the prophet for this church? Now, Peter says false prophets are going to step forward. His question, and their question is, where are the false prophets in what religious organization? I can only think of a couple religious organizations that have prophets at the head of their church. The FLDS, they all have prophets, practicing polygamy down in Texas. The uh, RLDS, they have prophets back in Missouri, and the LDS have a prophet. These are the churches that have prophets. Now, maybe there's some others, but, I mean, where are you finding the false prophets these days? they got to be in one of those or all three of those places. All right, go to another one. Uh, this is from Chris. He's LDS. He says, you have said that one cannot rely on their feelings to know the truth. We know that God gives to us love. I believe you love your wife, but without feeling, how do you really know you love your wife or Jesus? All right, let me explain that to you. And we're going to go to line four after that and give that a try. This is how I love my wife. I love my wife erotically with eros love, okay? Sexual love, okay? I don't love God with eros love. I love uh, my, and, and that is a feeling. Eros love is a feeling. I love my wife with philos love, which is a love of friendship. 
this is a feeling too, okay? I love my wife with agape love. This is love that comes from God. And when I love her with agape love, it's not based on a feeling, my friend. It's not based on me being uh, sexually attracted. It's not based on my appreciation for her friendship and companionship and duty in the home. It is based on me loving her like God loves her. That is, transcends these feelings you're talking about. You brought in the example of how do I love my wife without feelings. Love is not broken down into a simple word. It's broken down into parts. And with the agape love, I love without a feeling. I love based on principles of truth that God has put in my heart. So if my wife does something bad and slaps me or screams at me and I love her with agape love, it's not going to be based on her making me angry or not. It's going to be based on, the, on God in me going out to her and loving her as he would. That's not a feeling. Okay, do you get that? All right, we're going to try line four. I don't know who it is. Alan. Alan, you're on line four. Oh, thank you. Uh, enjoy the program. Um, it's a uh, stimulating thought. Uh, don't, uh, many uh, concerns I have, not, not, uh, not enough time. Uh, just before a you couple of comments. Okay, Alan, before you express your thoughts, let me say to our audience, which now is viewing from all over the place, that Alan is LDS. He wrote a book, I think it was called The Thousand Ways to Prove the Church is True. Alan, was that it? A uh, thousand evidences, uh-huh. thousand evidences that the church is true. Uh, yeah. Did the church publish that for you? No, I, it's published privately. P published privately. But he considers himself somewhat of an expert on proving the Mormon church true, so I wanted to give you that preface before Alan spoke. All right, Alan, go okay. ahead. Okay, all right. Thank you for the, for the uh, comment. Okay, here's, uh, here's a couple of comments. Um, uh, speaking of the priesthood, um, uh, the tribal um, you were talking about the Levite. Uh, uh, Which went to Zadok or, later, I know, but go ahead. Uh, even in the Old Testament, they were trying to get away from that tribal mentality. Uh, you know that Paul uh, got away from it. He had a little trouble with Peter. In, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just said it, wait a minute. You just said in the Old Testament, they were trying yep. to get away from that tribal mentality, and then you yep. quoted Paul and Peter. Yeah, yeah. Now let's go back to the Old Testament. That was, that's a preview. Isaiah chapter 66, that's Old Testament. Yeah. Isaiah chapter six, 66, verse 21, says that the gospel will be for all the Gentiles, and he will make of, of the Gentiles uh, priests. Yeah. Uh, so that, that uh, leaves out the necessity for Levites. Yeah, it leaves uh, out the necessity for, for uh, anything, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it, it, it says he, he, will, he will use them for priests. Yeah, exactly. And, and a, a priest, a royal priesthood, right? No, that's the royal priesthood's in Peter. No, uh, but I'm, Peter. I'm talking about he's, he's prophesying of the coming day when, when all believers are going to be priests. Yeah, that's a, a verse in, in Peter, but they did ordain him uh, in Acts chapter uh, 7, verse 6. Uh, the apostles set aside some young men to uh, do some temporal service. There's nothing wrong uh, which, with setting people aside for the work, but that is yeah, not a yeah, priesthood. They, they laid their hands on him, and that's I don't not know. A, uh, that's not a priesthood, because, it, you, so you're mixing uh, apples and oranges here, Alan. The priesthood laying the hands on is one little aspect of an old covenant uh, operation. If you uh -huh. go to what they actually did with the Aaronic priests to prepare them for the priesthood, we're talking apples and oranges here. It was a three-day affair. They had to wash them and squirt them and scrub them and kick them and... And dress them and undress them and and it well, was. Well, a, what I'm saying is the point is uh, they were ordaining them. Uh, 
these, uh, these apples. They were ordaining them and uh, giving them a job to do. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that, Alan. There's nothing wrong with ordaining. That's setting people forth. That's calling them. That's bringing them forth. But that has nothing to do with priesthood. Oh, I didn't say it did. It's just oh, okay. uh, it's it's uh, it's giving them a job to do. They're laying their hands on them, setting apart, okay. and then uh, they go about their duties, uh, being set apart by someone in authority. Uh, that's a comment on what you said before about. Uh, getting away with, from that need of, of setting apart, laying on a hands. Yeah, but uh, I was talking about me, priesthood authority. Comment. I was talking about priesthood. No, wait, Alan, let's stay on it. I was talking about priesthood authority. I was talking, and you know that. So you, what you've done is you've tried to muddy the waters here by you've, you've brought in a bunch of different things, but I am not talking about all those things you've said. I'm talking okay, about priesthood right. authority. Okay, go all ahead. Right. Let's, uh, let's go to uh, the, the order of Melchizedek for oh, a minute boy. before you hang up on me. Uh, I don't hang up on you, Alan. Oh, oh you've done it before. It oh, I just to have to cut up. you off. About well, 10 feet tall now, but uh, anyway, uh, Order of Melchizedek. Uh, it says, um, if you check the Greek uh, on, on order, it'll, it'll uh, tell you taxes means succession. And, uh, in yeah, fact, it some, was a succession from Melchizedek succession, and yeah, Jesus. Uh, some, uh, uh, some translations of the Bible, some editions uh, use the word succession, and I... I don't know of only one person being in a succession. Uh, you were saying Jesus is the only person in that succession. Was, Je was Jesus that. after Melchizedek? Uh, yeah. Was that a succession? Uh, it's, it, according to the Greek, yeah, it's a succession. Yeah, uh, and Jesus took uh, One it. after another. And does Hebrews call Jesus the great high priest who enters uh, the, the Holy of Holies once and for all? Uh, does, the, he, uh, does it say that about him? I'm talking about the order of Melchizedek, the succession of Melchizedek. Right, but I'm saying, you brought that up, and I showed you there's a succession. It went from Melchizedek, and Jesus is our great high priest. Okay, you're, not, you're saying there's two men in the succession. No, I'm uh, saying Melchizedek, Melchizedek was a picture a, of Christ. And is, if you watch it... Is a pre-Meridian uh, 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 figure of Christ. Yeah, he was a pre-Meridian figure of Christ. Okay, so there's one or two people in this... Uh, and that's called a succession. I'll agree with you there. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. It uh, seems like they could have come up with a different word than, than succession. Well, look, at, uh, what you're doing, again, and LDS audience and, and Christian audience and YouTube audience and live audience, what he's doing is he's doing what Mormon missionaries do when they come in your home. And they spin and they make it murky. And, but all you've got to do is read the book of Hebrews, and it says Jesus is our final. He's the final high priest. And no matter what he's trying to say here, he is absolutely spinning, and that's what okay, his thousand right, let me, points are. Let me give you this one, uh, this final one. Okay, it's got to be final and quick, though, or I'm going to hang up on you. Know, you. I don't want to monopolize. Yes, uh, you do. In Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, uh, God is going to make a uh, whole bunch of us uh, priests, kings and priests. Yeah, when? Amen. No, when, not amen. Uh, he has made us, it says. He has made us? Are you he sure when you're talking about Revelation? Unto God. And aren't we priests unto God when we believe on his name? Doesn't he call us a royal priesthood? He, that's, uh, you're mixing up. Uh, I'm not mixing up. The book of Peter and the book of Revelation. That's completely congruent. Peter, you're uh, Pe as bad as I am. Peter and, Re I'm not as bad as you are, Alan. Oh, Peter, oh, okay. okay. Peter and, and John, who wrote Jesus' revelation, they don't conflict here. Okay. okay, you're saying that they do. You're saying that Peter was talking about one thing in a royal priesthood, and Jesus was talking about another thing. They're not. There's not a conflict. Look at okay. 
Bottom line, Alan, Jesus is the high priest. Take an abandoned ship, man. Oh, Take okay. those garments off. Stop calling yourself a high priest. You're not a high priest. Jesus is the high priest. And you're going to really be sad that you bought into this line. Someday. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're not going to be the judge at the pearly gate. I'm glad I'm not either. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not either. All right, man. Thanks. All right, bye. Bye-bye. All right, we are going to Twyla from Caldwell, Idaho. Twyla, you're on line one. Part of the matter. Hi. Hi, Twyla. I just, I just wanted to call and let you know that I was a born-again Christian, and at 18 years old, I was deceived into joining the Mormon Church. And I felt like the deception happened to me because I prayed to God to find out if the Book of Mormon was true or not. Oh. I knew that I knew the Bible was true. Right. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. And so uh, kind of going uh, along with your thought, Twyla, is the Bible never says, hey, take this book and pray to know that it's true. The Bible never asks you to take the book and pray to know that it's true like the Book of Mormon does. Why is that? Well, if you look back at Joseph Smith and the tactics he used to get people, he was a mesmerizer, he was charming, he was able to convince people through all sorts of words, and he got them to do a test. He said, read this book, which is patterned after the Bible, and it had a lot of themes that were very popular. He said, read this book and pray and ask God, is it true? Well, he, he reached out to a bunch of people who were lost and searching and disaffected from society. So they read the book, and they read a bunch of good stuff in it. I've always said the Book of Mormon contains really positive good things for the most part that are not in conflict with the Bible. A couple are. And they read it, and they pray, is it true? And they receive the manifestation of their own wishes. They want it to be true. They want to belong to this group that calls them brother and sister. They want to be part of this great movement of the restored church. And so they, their feelings tell them, yes, it's true. And they go by those feelings and they're sucked in like you were. What happened now? Well, I believe that I received the spirit of deception that night whenever I prayed that. And, and so what's happening and in your life now, Twyla? When, when I was baptized, Mormon, that night was the... One time in my life, I did not feel protection from God like I had before. I thought they were Christian. Yeah. I found out they weren't. So what are you doing now? Anyway, anyways, what are you doing now? now? I'm going to the Vineyard Church. Well, praise God. Glad you got out of it. Great call, Twyla. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. All right, we're going to Mark. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, uh, oh, it's muted. Um, I think you took Joseph Fielding Smith's quote out of context. Did I? Perhaps you didn't, but uh, in his Doctrines of Salvation, yeah. Sermons and Writings, Volume 2, there, there is quite a long discussion uh, from, where does it start? Page 306 to 309. No, to 311, that clearly states that uh, that that salvation is by both grace and works. But Ephesians 2 verse 10 also clarifies that the that salvation is by grace, 
but you must be work, walking in, in the Christian light. And that's what he affirms in, the, in, this, in those passages. Okay. I believe that, Mark. I, I, I'm not questioning that, but the quote I gave was from, quote, Handbook of Genealogy and Temple Work by Joseph Fielding Smith, published in 1924, page 7. And it's not talking about grace and works. What it says, quote, is, For we reject and damn all those who do not accept Mormonism and the administration of our elders, while they, on the other hand, give a broader interpretation of the scriptures, holding it but necessary to believe in Christ, to confess him with their mouth, and to believe in their heart that Christ was raised from the dead, end quote. Well. That's, a, that's a, what, what he's saying there, and I think you know that LDS believe that. Unless you're yeah. LDS... You're 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 done for. That, yeah, right, but yeah. so that's all it was. Also, but Mark he also commented. He he also clarified the. Well, he he says where James and Paul are not in conflict. I agree. Okay. Well, and he also Joseph Fielding Smith affirmed that. Maybe he was being. Maybe he was talking about out of his both both sides of the mouth. But it is there clear, and you maybe ought to go look at. Well, send it to me. Send it to me, Mark. But let me ask you something. Did, how are you saved, Mark? You're, you must be LDS. How by are grace, you saved? Through faith. By grace, that, through faith. Not of yourself. What it is it, a gift of God. Okay, Mark. What does that mean to you when I say saved? Uh, life in the in in the yeah uh, eternal life of uh, living in the kingdom of God. Living with heavenly Father Absolutely. again. Okay, so Mark, then if, if you're saved by grace through faith, and you're saying that means living with Heavenly Father again. Being saved, uh, uh, I exaltation, whatever you want to call okay, it. Okay, that's what you're calling it. I'm just clarifying the terms. Why can I go into my office right now and bring out volumes? I know, I know. Wait, Mark, of quotes that say, unless you do this, unless you do that, Unless you do this and this and this and this and this, and just endlessly, you are not going to live with Heavenly Father again. You're saying all I have to do is believe. That's in, that's in conflict with what I read on that quote. I, I'm not going to argue there. I'm simply saying... Mark, you're a Christian. If you believe that you're saved by grace, come to know the Lord. Mark, look at that stuff. I, I'm not going to argue with you on that point. I'm sim simply saying that... Uh, you want to believe in more. No, no. What I'm saying is that the quote you had and the and and the passages in here are in conflict okay that's all i'm saying are, and there's i don't know that's okay, all i wanted Mark. to say hey keep in touch let's keep talking and I, I appreciate your heart you sound like a sweet man thank you thank you bye all right we're going to jason uh from salt lake city first time caller jason you're on heart of the matter hi sean hi jason yeah, I just wanted to make a comment to all the LDS listeners. Yes. Jesus, Jesus made it so simple for us. He, he, God knew the ending from the beginning, and Jesus knew in the last days what was going to take place. And he told us specifically, in the last days there's going to be false prophets, there's going to be false Christ, there's going to be people bringing other gospels. He says, do not listen to them. Stand fast on his word, and you won't be deceived. So what's happening is the LDS are ignoring what Jesus says, and they're doing exactly what he said not to do. Yeah. That's why they're being deceived. 
Exactly. It's so simple. All you got to do is when somebody tries to come with anything that's not in the Bible, any other kind of gospel, you compare it to what God left us. And if it's not in there, somebody's making it up. Right. And he warns us of that. So, you know, I, I just, I'm hoping that in the last day, we know when they stand judgment, you know, that, uh, and I pray to God that, you know, he's going to, because I can tell you now, I, I believe that God is looking down on this world and he's in tears and he's heartbroken because yeah. he sees what's taking place. Now everybody is doing exactly what he said not to do. A great call, uh, Jason. Thank you so much. If you can add to that, you know, you can go ahead, but it's so simple. He I, left I don't think I can add to it. It's too good. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, he talks about, you know, he, God is looking down. He's weeping over this world. We're having tens of dozens and dozens and dozens of thousands of people killed in cyclones. We're having earthquakes in diverse places. We're having... Uh, uh, we're having problems with fuel that is going through the roof. We're having food supply problems because the farmers can't pay for the fuel to raise the crops, to cut the, f the food and feed the cows, to make the milk. Uh, milk and gas are at the same price now. I'm not, a, I'm not a fanatic. I really don't care if the second coming comes in my life or uh, 2,000 years from now. I just never have been that way. But I think the signs are coming and we've been seeing them grow at an exponential rate. And God is trying to reach everybody with the message of his son. He's not trying to meet, uh, reach you with a message of some guy who had visions and, and ideas and tried to reconstruct this stuff. Please, give him a chance. That's the purpose of our ministry. That's the purpose of why every preacher preaches the word. They want you. They have no vested interest in this. But to get you to give him a chance, go to him and seek him. And also read his word because it will give you the true direction. I got a question here. Then we're going to go to Robin in Magna. The question is, is the Pope fallible and are Catholics Christian? Is the Pope fallible? Absolutely, 100% fallible. Are the, that only came, the infallibility of the Pope came out like in 1200 something uh, by Gregory, I think. Gregory the uh, uh, 14th, I think, something like that, that said Popes are not fallible. Fallible, yes, he is fallible, okay? And are Catholics Christian? Some are. Some are, all right? So there's your answer. That's from Ryan in Salt Lake City. We're going to Robin in Magna, first-time caller. Robin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I have my handbook of genealogy, so if anybody else wants to dispute, uh, we have it now. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, but my question, not my question, but kind of my call-out to the Mormons. I'm a former Mormon. Mm -hmm. And so here's my call-out. If they truly believe that Jesus died for their sins, God came to this earth. He suffered that horrible death for all mankind. Why on earth would it be necessary for God to come to Joseph Smith 1,800 years later <laughs> to restore anything when all Jesus said to do was believe in him? Yeah. Why would we need anything more? And if they honestly believe that they're saved by Jesus Christ, why would they believe that they need to do anything else that Joseph Smith tells them to do? It's a great call, Rob, and I appreciate that because that testimony, that question is going to reach into the hearts of people we don't even know somewhere in this world, and it's going to cause them to think and ponder upon that. Praise God. Thank you for the quote, too. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Barron in Salt Lake City. Tried to get him earlier. Uh, Barron, you're on. Barron? Uh, I want to let you know about something. Uh, we have people who call the show, and they act sincere, and they tie up a line. And they wait on the line, so other sincere people trying to call. And then when we get on there, 
they are silent and they cause us to delay and then they, they uh, space time. So I pray that God will step in and just kick them in the teeth and uh, cause them to go to the bathroom to clean themselves up so we can get calls from people who are sincere. Look, if you're LDS and you don't like me or you don't like what I'm saying, your calls are welcome. And I only attack Alan because Alan considers himself a supreme apologist. But if you're LDS and like that other man and you're so nice, you can say what you want. You can tell anything you want. We don't care. We don't need to tie up the lines with little games. Let's just try to let people call through. All right, we're going to Karen in Tooele. Karen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey. How's it going? Uh, good. How are you, Karen? Oh, we're working really well. Um, quick comment about... Um, about how all of that come down about the temple work. Yes. And I've got it. It's something very important that's got to do with that. Okay. If Jesus' Jesus's sacrifice wasn't enough, right? why did God rip the veil in the temple? That showed it was finished. All temple work was done by Jesus. Everything was done. Absolutely. It was finished. And, and what's interesting about that, Karen, is the Jews have a story that it took 12 mules on each side of that veil uh, with ropes to tear it in half. It was so strong. And it's also right. interesting that that veil was rent, and it was higher than high. It was rent from the top down, meaning that there men didn't go in and mm -hmm. do it. God did it. Yeah, and God did it. That's and it right. was like nine inches thick or something. Yeah, it was just thing like that. It was really weird. Right. It was thick. It was huge. Yeah. And if the temple work would not have been done at that time, all temple work was finished with Jesus. Absolutely. All not to it, mention that what's done. done not to mention that what's done in the LDS temples has absolutely nothing to do with what was done in the temples back on Mount Moriah in Jesus' time. None. So great call. Thank you so much, Karen. All right. Have God a bless good you. Bye-bye. Hey, check out our website, www.bornagainmormon.com. Mormon spelled M-O-R-M-O-N. For more information about what's going on in the ministry, for free access to all the archive shows, and for recent news that's going on, uh, remember, uh, email us your questions for my family who will be here next week. Get ready to call. Give them the hard stuff. Ask them the hard questions about anything you want because it's going to be an opportunity for you to hear from another source within our home about what it means to come to know the Lord and leave the confines, bondage, and restrictions of Mormonism. Uh, in the interim, God bless you all. We pray you'll come to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.